Welcome to the Christian Wealth Podcast, where people come to learn what the Bible says about money, wealth, and business. Be inspired by some of the greatest Christian thinkers and commentators from around the planet. Enjoy this episode with your host, Alex Cook. As we do on a Tuesday, we like to check in with Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth with Purpose. And we've been talking about Kingdom Wealth Foundations. Uh, Alex Cook, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you. Hey, Alex, uh, while listeners uh, might be thinking through uh, around uh, questions that they might have about money, uh, let's talk about uh, making a bequest because we're talking about here, you know, what you can't take with you and what you leave on to your, mm. perhaps your extended family members. Uh, making a bequest, something that's actually normal, normal part of everyday life, really, for our planning. Oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, uh, the ultimate statistic is that one out of one, 100% of us die. And of course, the million dollar question, it becomes, you know, what are we going to do uh, with the money that we've been stewarding throughout our life? What's, where's it going to go? Who's it going to go to? Um, so it's a very important topic. One which, by the way, many people avoid, uh, and to give you some of the stats on it, roughly 40% of Australians die intestate. What that means is they die without a will, and therefore their assets get distributed according to, according to a state-based formula in the state within which they live. Um, and so I would say that's not, of course, good stuff, but you know, if you've built up you know, reasonable resources throughout your lifetime, uh, you want to make sure that the money goes into the right hands. Um, so it's a really important uh, topic for people to grapple with, and I think as, as Christians especially, because to me it's a stewardship issue ultimately. Um, but really bequests and estate planning, as we call it in the financial planning world, really is about achieving three main things, and that is making sure that there is the right amount of money in the right hands at the right time. So that's the, the key objectives, I think, when you're thinking about your bequests and thinking about your estate. Uh, they're the goals that you want to um, to achieve. Uh, and the example I always like to give is you don't want your, you know, an 18-year-old to inherit a million dollars. There's a good chance <laughs> that at 18 that uh, may end up in fast cars and, and sort of prodigal son type living. So um, it's a really important issue for people to think through uh, about who's going to get their money, when are they going to get it, uh, and how much are they going to get. It's a really important uh, topic for us to grapple with as believers. Interesting when you say the Christian approach to estate planning is to do with stewardship and uh, the fact that, you know, whose money is this anyway? Uh, the thought that there might be a really Christian approach, uh, do we understand anything sort of a biblical foundation for the way that money gets passed down from generation to generation? Yeah, look, absolutely. And so the question that people often ask uh, when you're talking to them in, a, in the context of this estate planning is, you know, who am I going to leave my money to? Uh, that's the you know that's the, the expression people use. Who are you going to leave your money to? And so I always say to Christians, let's reframe that, and let's ask the question: Who are you going to leave God's money to? Because ultimately, it is God's money. Yeah, and you know, really, um, throughout our lives, we're just stewarding His resources, and therefore, it makes sense that estate planning really is our final act of stewardship. Um, and therefore, we need to think very carefully about who we're actually going to pass it on to. Um, 
So it, it, it's, it's a really uh, critical issue to grapple with if you believe that the money you have is in fact God's money. Um, and to add to that, I, I'd say that as believers, we really need to start thinking generationally about money. That is that we want to pass on money to future generations but in a purposeful sense, not in the sense of, yeah, I'll have enough money to pay off their mortgage, as nice as that is, and most parents I talk to want to help their kids in that kind of way, um, but more in the sense that we want them to think about how they can use their wealth and the wealth that gets passed down through the generations to fund kingdom activities. I mean, one of the classic ones is, you know, some of the family offices like the Fairfax family office and all those kind of things that are passed down through generations. And then that money is then used to sow into activities uh, today for, for gospel type work. So we need to think generationally about our, our money as well as just treating it as our final act of stewardship, you know, and who are you going to leave God's money to? In fact, there's a great parable, uh, you know, the parable of the talents, but in one version of the Bible, it's actually called the parable of the loaned money. And I actually love that idea that the money that we have is on loan to us from God. And that, of course, when we pass away, we've got to hand it back and we want to make sure that we've done good with it. Because obviously when we when we meet Jesus face to face, we're going to be uh, we're going to be called to give an account of how we've used the money that God has given us. So these issues are very of deep importance, I believe. Uh, important question here, insofar as uh, do you leave all your money to your kids? Uh, do you bypass a generation and leave it to your grandkids? I know that some families have all sorts of weird and wonderful ways that they deal with these sorts of things. Uh, I imagine that if you've got a spouse, that your spouse would be the one who would uh, take care of where that money might go. How do you work out uh, where you leave all your money then, Alex? Mm. It's a good. It's a very good question, um, and I better not hand out my address to anyone on air because uh, some <laughs> of the kids might come hunting me down. Um, but look, to me... Most most people I see that come and sit in my office and talk to me about um, their estate planning, their wills, I would say 95% or more want to leave all their money to their kids. That's that's by far and away the cultural norm, both amongst Christians and non-Christians alike. That's the cultural norm. Um, but I think there's much more complexity to it and much more deep thought that needs to go into it um, as believers. And to me, the idea that you're going to leave all your money to your kids doesn't necessarily make sense other than in certain contexts. So to me, it is a, it's a situation-driven thing. So for example, maybe you have kids where there is one kid is handicapped, for example, and therefore you need, uh, as the parent, to provide for that child. It's very important that you do that um, to make sure they're taken care of when you're gone. So there's those kind of practical things uh, that you need to think through. <coughs> but the other big issue here is if you, let's say, you know, you leave your house behind, your superannuation fund, that could actually be, in this day and age, that could actually be quite a large amount of money. And if you're giving it to your kids, what are they going to do with it? Are they just going to use it to pay off their mortgage or to increase their lifestyle? Um, or are they going to use it for kingdom activities? Are they going to be good stewards themselves? You see, the world has changed from, you know, from the gospel era to, to where we are today in the sense that back in those days, inheritance was absolutely essential because most of them lived uh, subsistence lives and lived on the land, and therefore the inheritance was the land itself, and that was to keep the family going in future generations. Whereas in today's day and age, by the time most people inherit, they're usually in their 50s and usually have paid down their home or a lot of their home, 
and therefore there's an argument to say they don't necessarily need all the inheritance. And therefore you as you know the 70-year-old parent who's, who passes away, you might be thinking, well, what are all the kingdom things I could sow into you know, when I pass, you know, not, you know, there's your local church, there's all sorts of Christian ministries and missions and charities to help the poor. There's all sorts of things that we can give to. Now, I do think it's important to leave to your kids because otherwise I can guarantee you'll, you'll leave a, a permanent damage or mark, if you like, if you don't give them something, because I've seen that play out as well. But to me, the ultimate legacy you really want to leave your kids is the good news itself. I, I want my kids, rather than giving them money, I want them to know Jesus more than anything else. That should be my real legacy. But money, of course, is, is an issue too. And as I say, you want to think about generationally with your wealth. And so I want to train my kids up through this life to be good stewards with what they have. So when they inherit it, rather than going on a flight to Fiji for a holiday, they're going to say, well, how can we use this money that my parents have left me to do good and to continue, uh, you know, the gospel work that they had intended with it. So, as I say, we need to think very carefully just before we go handing over large sums of money to our kids, just purely out of the nice idea of wanting to pay off their mortgage. So we've got to think deeper about these things and really grapple with it from a stewardship perspective. As you say, Alex, 95% of people will want to leave their estate to their kids. Uh, What about the situation where... Uh, some kids get more than others. Uh, should our kids be treated equally in a will? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, look, another important uh, area. Um, yet there's a yes and no to it. I think in a situation where the kids are all relatively you know, similar, they share the same sort of values as you as the parents, uh, they're all financially healthy in their own right. There is good reason to, to do it relatively equal, equally. In saying that, there are lots of situations where that may not be the case. One person may be financially vulnerable. I've got a situation in my own family where one of my siblings is not capable of managing money on an ongoing basis. And therefore, the way my parents' estate is set up is that uh, the money gets distributed equally amongst the children, but the way in which they receive it differs. So you can uh, you can use structures, what we call testamentary trusts, to control the flow of the money in, in terms of the way the capital is distributed, or you can make it so only income is distributed to that person in order to protect them. So there's all those kinds of things that come into the mix here. But then there's also the issue of, well, does it need to be equal? And the answer is not necessarily. Um, there may be reasons why why um, you want to give one kid more than another because it's to say the classic one example is small business owners where that one kid is going to inherit the business because they work in it and therefore they want to see that business continue so that's that's a very common uh, story you know for successful family business that gets passed from generation to generation and the other siblings can't afford to buy out the the one that's the main the main one in it so there's all sorts of different scenarios here where it may not be equal i think where it does need to be handled though delicately and i always say to people when you are having these discussions is be very open and upfront with your children about what's going to happen and why it's going to happen so that they understand that this is not um, anything against them. You know, this is actually being done for a specific reason, whether it's to protect someone or to ensure the continuity of a business or, or whatever the reasons may be, that it's all done very out and open and transparent rather than people getting a surprise when the person passes away and then they discover the estate was quite different to the way they thought it would be. Some practical things, Alex. When you're going to get your will prepared, uh, where you're going through some thoughts on estate planning, 
what sort of uh, what are the main documents that you might put together to create your estate plan? And do you need special help? I mean, do you need to talk to a financial advisor, or do you need to talk to your lawyer, or do you need to talk to the public trustee? All sorts of issues around that. Hmm. Great, great question. Look, I, I, there's the four main documents people need to have. One is the will, uh, which is just just saying how your assets are going to be dispersed. There's what we call an enduring power of attorney, and this is a very powerful document. This gives someone the ability to uh, deal with your finances, such as closing bank accounts, buying things, selling things, etc. So it's a, a very significant power. Uh, one called an enduring guardian, which gives someone the ability to make uh, health and lifestyle decisions on your behalf, such as the type of care you received. And then the last one relates to superannuation. A lot of people are not aware that your superannuation is not in fact covered by your will. And so the, way, the one we use for, for people as financial planners is what's called a beneficiary nomination. And there's a few different types, what we call binding and non-binding. And these are generally available from the super fund in which you're invested. And they will give you this form to do. So they're the four main ones that you need to have. In terms of the type of help you have, we always recommend people go and see a local solicitor. If your circumstances are simple in the sense that it's a, uh, a married couple, couple of kids, no divorce, no, no complication, then a suburban solicitor will probably do a sufficient job. If you have either a large amount of assets or you have um, what we call you know, blended family these days, because obviously a lot of people get divorced and remarried, that kind of thing, um, then I recommend you see a professional estate planning solicitor because they can deal with the more complex scenarios. Likewise, if you have children where you're trying to protect them in some way, such as you know they're either mentally handicapped or maybe they've got uh, issues such as alcohol and you know all the sorts of possible things that you know we have in our fallen world, um, then you want to provide for them. And therefore, I'd recommend once again a professional estate planning solicitor that deal with the more complex scenarios that we uh, you know that people come across. What are the some some of the common problems that uh, you might come up against uh, when you are doing estate planning? Is there some things to carefully look out for? Yeah, look, absolutely. The, the common things I see, <coughs> probably the most common one, is it's just not done at all, right? So there's no will, there's no power of attorney. And these things are something that people just keep putting off and off. They keep delaying it and, and they... You know, every year a review meeting, we keep having to remind them to do it. So it's a very important thing not to put off. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is when you're choosing the people uh, who are going to be involved in your estate. So for your will, you need executors. For your powers of attorney, you need to appoint someone as your attorney. You need to find people who are don't have any conflict of interest, so they're not going to act against either your will or against the will of potential beneficiaries. So you need to find the right people, ideally people who are reasonably financially savvy. They don't have to be financial advisor or anything like that, but they just need to be reasonably financially astute and have your best interests at heart. Very, very important. You have the right people involved. Um, and of course, that they know about it and that they're willing to do it. You know, that's not something they get a surprise when you pass away, that someone knocks them on, taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, you know, you're being appointed as the executor of this estate. Um, so that's that's another important one. Uh, and then, of course, occasionally we see people who don't allow for their kids. Sometimes they have poor relationships with their kids, so they want to pass it on to the grandkids or they just want to bypass the family altogether. That, to me, leads to a lot of emotional issues, but uh, as in emotional problems, but also 
generally it will also lead to wills being contested. Um, you know, wills are being contested all the time these days in our courts. Um, and therefore, I think you should always make an allowance for your kids or make very good notes as to why you're doing something. So everyone is very clear, particularly a judge, as to why you've made the decisions that you have. Um, so it's very obvious to everyone the intention of the person who's passed away. Very, very important that that intention is made crystal clear. Um, so yeah, there are you know the common sort of problems, but as I say, the biggest one and the one I'd encourage listeners is make sure you actually have an estate plan, get the documents done, because this is the thing that most people put off. And, um, and with powers of attorney, it's very problematic because you need to have it in place before you lose capacity. You know, these days people get dementia and all sorts of things happen. You want to make sure that these documents are in place before anything actually happens to you. You know, it's one of these things people like to defer because they think, you know, they're either invincible or they don't want to think about, you know, the reality of, of life. Well, so, we don't like yeah, to consider to those things. Uh, Alex, on your Wealth With Purpose website, uh, I'll often say, as I'm signing off on this uh, conversation each week, that uh, there's lots of free resources. Is there a resource that has to do with this? Because no doubt listeners will hear there are complexities. Is there something that helps you navigate the way forward on your website? <laughs> Yeah, look, probably the simplest one to access is our Financial Freedom Express course. That that gives um that's basically a range of very short videos on different financial topics, uh, and there's a couple in there specifically on estate planning themselves. And as I say, they're nice short videos, five minutes each on different estate planning topics, and that will really help people um, just get a grasp of the issues and the key documents and the key people that they really need to think about as to who they want to have helping them manage their estate. Um, yeah, so the courses that we've got online would be perfect for that kind of thing. Well, outstanding insights as always. Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose. You can connect with Alex at wealthwithpurpose.com. Uh, those free resources, there's ebooks, the My Toolkit. There's free videos and podcast content there. You can also follow Alex on Facebook and on Twitter. There's also an Ask Alex at wealthwithpurpose.com uh, where you can send an email and uh, perhaps even a question that we can address on a day like this today where we talk through financial issues. Alex Cook, great getting your insights as always. Thanks so much for the update today on 2020. My pleasure, Neil. Great to be with you. 